welcome everybody for joining us for Ripen Special Education Weekly this week, uh, where we answer questions from parents about special education in Rhode Island. And I am joined, as always, by a panel of uh, peer professionals from Ripen's special education team. With me today are Ann Fratura. Hi, everybody. Katie Conti. Hello. And Deb Belanger. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Now, our panel, they all work uh, in at Ripen on our special education team. We are what's called a Parent Training Information Center, or PTIC. And for those who aren't familiar, we're, we're the official Parent Training Information Center for special education for the state of Rhode Island. That's the designation from the U.S. Department of Education. And we have been for Rhode Island since 1991, way back when Ripen was first founded, uh, coming up on 30 years ago. We are also, as an organization, staffed predominantly by uh, what we call peer professionals, meaning the folks who are working with you at Ripen are peers. They themselves have children who have a disability, are receiving special, special education services, related services, accommodations, or have at some point in the past. So they've lived this. They have firsthand experience, which we then combine with high-quality training and professional development to allow us to help other parents out there in the community navigate some of these complex um, uh, procedures when it comes to things like special education. And everyone on our panel today, Ann, Katie, and Deb are all peers. And I'd like to start uh, with them this week, as we usually do, and kind of ask Deb, what, um, what are you hearing this week, calls from parents? Any emerging issues or any trends that you're noticing? You're muted. Oh, you're muted, Deb. Um, so we're, you know, we continue, a, a lot of the, the cases that are coming in are still uh, concerns about distance learning. And I think that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. Um, but the one interesting um, concern, although not in Rhode Island, this is not a Rhode Island concern at this time that we've been made aware of, is that there are some states um, right now who are asking families or having families waive their rights in writing. And let me, let me clarify that for a minute. There's only two times in Rhode Island law and in federal law that parents' written consent is required. So anytime your child is evaluated for special education to, de to determine disability, anything that the school um, needs to do for your child requires your written consent. They can't just go ahead and do that without your written consent. The other time is the first time that your child enters special education. There's no other signatures required for, you know, other than signing into a meeting back when we used to meet in person, but there's no other time for that to happen. What we're starting to hear from other states and our other parent centers around the country is that some of their schools are asking parents to sign a waiver and it could be anything it, that has to do with that child's free and appropriate, appropriate public education. For example, um, they, it could be something related to uh, reducing hours or reducing services or um, any of those kind of things that have to do with changing the makeup of that IEP. 
and saying, mom's saying, no, it's okay. You can do it that way. That is, it's really important to remember that the federal government has not made any changes whatsoever to IED, IDEA or the way it's being implemented. Students are supposed to still get their free and appropriate public education. And there are times where schools are meeting with students and families. They're, they're having discussions. They may need to ebb and flow and maybe adjust some things. And any of that documentation can be added to the IEP as an amendment, as um, additional documentation. But there's nothing in there that is about a parent giving consent, writing consent um, for the school to make changes that could certainly impact that child's right to a free appropriate public education. Um, if you have questions around that, or if you think that might be happening, we, we want you to call us. Again, we're not seeing any of this in Rhode Island right now, but it is something that we have our antennas up and we'll be um, listening for. If somebody calls us and says, gee, I signed this paper, and although I'm okay with, even if I'm not okay, I'm okay with what they're going to do, but they're asking me to sign something to say that's okay. That's not required. So that that's just one little thing we're going to keep our eye on. But other than that, um, it's still kind of the way it's been for the last few weeks. So that's interesting. That's interesting to hear. So just just to reiterate, I guess for our audience, that this is not something that we've heard happening to any parents in Rhode Island that they've been approached right. by the school. Oh, can you sign this? Um, but if, if at any point parents out there, you uh, are asked to sign something and you're not sure uh, you could call ripen and, and we can help you understand exactly what your rights are and exactly where you might be in the process. So you always have that support and that backup. Um, and let me just add that that it's I know that parents can sometimes feel intimidated about by that. And it's OK to say, listen, um, I'd be happy to look into this further. I just need a day. Just give me a day or so to look at it and think about this a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes sense. And that's good to hear for parents, I think. So I do want to remind everybody listening, if you're watching us on live stream on Facebook, on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel, if you're here on Zoom listening to us, we want your questions. We are here to answer your questions about special education. If you're with us on Zoom, you can type them right into the chat. You can click the Q&A button and type them in, raise your hand. If you're watching us on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, type your questions in the comments. We will relay them to the panel and we'll do our, do our best to answer them for you. Uh, and you can always email your questions as well to weekly at ripen, R-I-P-I-N dot org. And we will try to answer them as best we can here on the show. So looking at some questions we have this week from parents so far, um, one, one question that came in, and this is actually from what I understand happening to a few families are having this experience. Um, talking about being a non-English speaking family. English is not my first language. And I really require an interpreter to be able to ask questions about my child's IEP or about my child's accommodations or to, I need an interpreter to facilitate that, that IEP meeting. And, you know, the parents saying that I've contacted my child's school multiple times and no one is getting back to me about an interpreter. And, and I'm really afraid at this point that 
my child is not learning. Um, so this is something I, I know we're hearing from multiple parents around the state and in different districts across the state. Um, we're seeing students maybe not receiving access to their education because of these barriers. So in that situation, uh, what can parents do? What, what steps can they take? And I'd like to see if uh, Katie has any insight on that. Sure. Thanks, Mark. Um, this is a great question, and we do hear of this happening. Um, parents need to and have a right to access their student, their child's education, their IEP, what's happening in the classroom, um, to be able to communicate effectively with their student's team. If it's that the parent just has some questions, um, they want to communicate some new information about their, their kiddo um, with the school, and they're reaching out to the school in order to do that and saying, hey, I need an interpreter, and they're not hearing back. At that point, they could reach out to their special education director, preferably um, by email. That's, that's our, our, one of our mottos, I think, everything in writing. Reach out to the special education director and let them know that they need an interpreter in order to communicate with their student's case manager, physical therapist, whatever it might be. In addition, Equally important is the parent being able to participate in their child's IEP meeting. So we always recommend that parents in writing let their principal, or if that's not effective, their special education director know that they need an interpreter present at the IEP meeting. It's important that parents can understand their student's IEP and that they can receive that information. But it's also important that the parents are given an opportunity to communicate their concerns, their input about their students' strengths, um, any questions they may have, their ideas. Parents a lot of times have great ideas on what their student needs. Um, and so it's really important that the interpreter is there um, to, in order to let the parents express themselves effectively as well. Oh, and another way ripen can help. You know, if, if a parent is trying this and they're not having success, please call us. We'll be happy to help. Can I add to that, Katie, too? Please. The, first, so, sure. Um, we know that this is a big problem. This is, it's not just a problem in Rhode Island, but it's a problem across the country. There is an equity in education, if in case anyone hasn't heard yet. And so, um, it's really important that RIPEN helps parents find their voice and find their way to navigate with everything that Katie just talked about. But I also want to add that, for example, um, in Providence, um, there have a special ed director, a fairly new special ed director, uh, Barbara Mullen is her name, and she is looking to hear from those parents. She um, has expressed that. The Rhode Island Department of Education has expressed that they are looking for any district that they're finding that that is a barrier. This is a priority. This is a big priority. And when we start to see large groups of kids and if those uh, that are not receiving not only their general education, but they're not receiving access to special education, no one's trying to not do that. They need to become aware, but there's a lot of stuff happening. So again, as Katie said, if, that, if you know of a family who's struggling that, please have them contact us. But if, if they should at least, and Lisa and I can say that for Barbara, 
Mullen, that they are looking for families to reach out to her. Yeah, yeah. Um, they want to hear. They want to hear about this if this is happening to you. They, they, mm -hmm. this needs to be brought to their to their attention at the school level, at the district level. Personnel need to know about this, and it is you have a right uh, to an interpreter who speaks your language and can help facilitate these conversations so that you know what's going on. Um, definitely a huge equity issue and something that we're going to continue to keep an eye on. Uh, but I appreciate your answers on that. Switching gears a little bit. Another question we have this week. Uh, we have a, a question from a parent of a child who will be turning 14 soon, age 14. And this parent says, I'm aware that we'll be changing to a different IEP form with a focus on his transition, uh, his transition to adulthood uh, and transitioning out of high school. And the parent asks, what should I be thinking about before that meeting, before going into that meeting where you, where you do this age 14 transition focused IEP, parent wants to know, what should I know? What should I be thinking about? What questions should I ask? And I wanna, uh, I wanna see if Anne has an answer for this one. Okay. So here's the good news. You don't have to do too much homework. Um, there's not too much preparation. If your child is just about to turn 14, you're, you're entering that, this wide world of transition at 14 in Rhode Island. In Rhode Island, we start tr transition for special education um, at 14. Federally, other states um, only need to begin that process at 16 through the IEP process. Um, Rhode Island goes above and beyond. And the reason for that is that we believe that the earlier we start, the better. So of course, even though that we need to begin to invite students, we need to invite them at 14 to their own IEP meetings. We need to involve them in their IEPs at 14. It definitely happens before that. As a parent, all you really need to do is bring your knowledge of your child to the table at 14. Um, bring your, um, your open-mindedness, bring your data, and think of this as not that we are expecting um, parents and kids to all of a sudden at 14 picture their children as adults, right? It, it's a process. So when you look at the IEP form itself, that's one thing that changes in addition to them being invited to their meetings. So where before... 14, between the ages of three and 13, your IEP focused on academics and functional areas, strictly as they, as they pertain to academics and functional. Now you're gonna look at those areas as it pertains someday, way in the future to transition in adulthood. Um, it's just a different lens that we're looking at it through and it's not it shouldn't be a big scary thing however it's a process that grows every year from then on so teachers will gather information on what your students interested in what their strengths are what their kind of future ideas about what they want to be when they grow up where they want to live what do they want to work at um do they want to go to school after they leave high school? All those things are addressed. And if you're anything, um, or if you have a child that's anything like mine, that changes all the time. And that's okay. Um, but the idea of this process between 14 and 22 
is that we're building on each piece of information we receive about a young person. We build on it and we're helping those families kind of look beyond high school. Um, so one other thing I do want to add is in the time of COVID and distance learning, there is still this requirement to look at what we can provide students for services. We call them transition services. Um, and as it pertains to kind of quarantining, um, if we can't go out into a community to get community experiences or work experiences, how can we give access to those things? Many things can be provided virtually still. Um, we're still holding IEP meetings. So the IEP meetings can include people from agencies that can speak to how those kind of observations can be done, those assessments can be gathered. Um, what is possible? Because as a parent, you don't have to know that. You just have to be able to say, what's out there? What can we do? And how does it look different than when he was 13? Annie, yeah. what, what are the areas, you know, when you, you just hit a really good point about up to age 13, right, parent, we're focusing on getting through the day a lot of times. <laughs> we're focusing on homework. We're focusing on, you know, at 13, we're like, are they taking a shower every day, right? Those type of things. But when we think about transition, I know there's four or five areas really to kind of frame that for that family that they may not have thought about before. And also, as that might be pertaining to some other things that we're going to be able to offer in the near future. So what are those areas that we need to wrap our heads around a little bit? So in the IEP, one difference that you'll see, and, and I'm talking about the actual form itself, is um, we, each child, each youth is asked questions around what they expect or hope to be doing when they leave school in the areas of post-secondary education and training employment, and independent living. So those three areas are part of that actual form. And services need to be determined. And again, services at 14 might look different for from um, services for a 20-year-old who still has an IEP. In addition to those three areas that that IEP um, addresses, a big push in nationally, but I have to say I can speak to Rhode Island, is to um, involve youth in kind of the planning, their, their planning and keeping the youth at the center of it. Um, so person-centered planning, self-determination, those are areas, functional areas that youth can um, work on, gather skills in those. How do I speak up for myself? Um, I walked into the classroom now, don't get me wrong, just because, you know, I turned 14 doesn't mean that I walk into the classroom and I'm able to perfectly well communicate all my needs and, and um, self-advocate. It's a process of learning the skills that in some cases come naturally to others. Um, there's also a piece of um, in, encouraging families and youth to build community connections. So that all, all those things kind of wrap around together to um, do what everybody else is looking for, have a successful life, right? Right. Do, um, 
So we've, we have, we do a lot of work in this area, right, Pim? So I, uh, those, those big ideas can be very new to families. I understand that we have something coming up in November that you might want to talk about and how those days are actually broken down with information for families. We do. Imagine that. Imagine that. In addition to all of our recorded webinars, um, or actually inclusive of all of our uh, recorded webinars, we we have kind of changed what annually has been a one-day event um, in person in the past, we have had 10 successful years of a transition to adulthood conference. Uh, and that's been a conference for families, for parents. We've had some youth who have attended. Um, and this year we have to put it all online. So we tried to come up with something that was engaging and interesting and yet can be done for the most part on your own time. Um, with a couple of live events, which is one live event every day, where we have a panel of experts in those areas that I mentioned. So self-determination and person-centered planning. Um, let's see, education and training. Yeah. So post-secondary education, employment. Um, let's see, I'm, I'm working off the top of my head and I'm forgetting the other days. Um, community participation. As another one. So each day we'll have some panelists who can answer questions, your, your live questions. That's a great graphic that Mark is sharing right now. We're really excited. Um, but at the same time, we know that a whole week of things need to be looked at it whenever you're available. So we're hoping to leave these things on our website so that you can access them later, but we would love to have as many people as possible chiming in with any questions you have um, to ask the experts on those days. And just to be clear, we gotta, we're gonna fix that graphic. It actually starts on Monday, November 16th. And very shortly, hopefully in the next couple of days, you'll be having access to that webpage and be able to see all of our offerings. Right. Yes, uh, to, correct. It is the 16th through the 20th. It is that week. And if you visit ripen.org, which is the real key takeaway from that graphic, right. is <laughs> ripen.org. You can find more information, figure out how to register for this. Um, something new, again, this is the year of new things. Uh, we usually have this as an in-person conference, as was mentioned. And, and this year, it's a whole week of virtual events, uh, and online events, and it's still a way to connect with our peer professionals, connect with people in the community, connect with other parents. Um, so switching gears again, we, we have some questions that have come in from viewers. We have a question from a Facebook viewer right now. Um, getting back to the topic we were talking about earlier in the show about parents needing interpreter services and not, and not being able to access them. The question question is, do you feel that parents may not be reaching out because of fear of ICE, of immigration and customs enforcement? And if so, how can that concern be addressed so that it doesn't continue to have a negative impact on the IEP process? I, I can imagine that absolutely for some parents, that, that's a fear. Um, if that is the case, I would definitely encourage parents to call us so we can help him through that. Um, I don't know what Deb and Ann's thoughts are on it. So um, 
schools don't ask uh, those questions around um, citizenship, um, right. especially around um, IEPs, FAPE. That's not, they're not contingent upon um, uh, citizenship. So it's not a question that should be asked. Um, and um, I, I can understand the question and I can understand the fear of bringing any attention. Um, right. So. But schools know that. See, that that's the whole thing that school systems know that. And there are times, if it, and the only way we can do that is keep that information out there, keep the word out there. Hopefully, if they you know they can maybe talk to a peer, a peer professional, right, then that's great. But if they can't, if you're out in Facebook world right now, and maybe they don't even want to call Ripen, if this is a child with an IEP, and that parent has has at least made an attempt, like picked up the phone and called. If they don't have access to, to and, and no one's calling them back, then they need to contact that, per, that district special ed director. They want you to contact them. They, they're, despite whatever you hear out there, those are the people that are really um, dedicated to making sure the kids that they oversee get their education. And especially right now when there's so much information coming out around students not getting it based on certain demographics, where they live, income, race. There's a lot of other pieces happening there. We cannot say that enough. And if you go to your special ed director, and we've been told this by the Department of Ed who we talk with all the time, if you go and your director or that person in charge there is still is not responding, you want to call the ride call center. They want you to call them. They understand that this is there's a barriers out there. But the only way that we can uh, break those barriers down is to make sure that we're being resilient and calling those people in charge who will welcome the opportunity to fix it. Yeah, and again, I think we really can't stress enough, um, and 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 recognizing that uh, my own lack of language ability means that I'm not necessarily reaching the people who need to hear this. But we all in the community need to stress as much as we can that uh, the school cannot report you, will not report you to ICE, will not collect your immigration status or any of that information. Ripen won't do it. We'll never ask about that and we'll never report anything like that to anybody else. Um, Ride won't do it and and we'll never report it. So it's a message that unfortunately this day and age you really can't emphasize enough um, that that your school and organizations like Ripen are not going to share that information with anybody ever. We won't even collect it. Um, so that is a really good question. I, I want to thank, thank our Facebook viewer who asked that. Another viewer on Facebook, another uh, question we have now, talking about um, personnel shortages in, in school districts. Mm -hmm. And they ask, with the current teacher and paraprofessional shortage, how long does a school have to find a paraprofessional for a student? So I guess the question, you know, asking, it's, it's hard to get these paraprofessionals. Is there, a, is there a clock ticking on the school to, to find that person for a student? Is there a time limit? And I wonder if this is a question that Deb maybe wants to try to field first. So there is no clock that says 
they have this much time, but there is a clock that says they need to follow an IEP. So for every, if it's identified in an, in that IEP, that, that, that this child, and I, and I really mean, it's gotta be written in there, but this child requires so much of additional adult support and whether it's the direct teacher or it's a, the support from a paraprofessional and that's not happening. That's where the clock ticks. So a parent has, you know, in the, in the regulatory world, the parent could say, well, geez, it's been eight days. It's been 10 days that my child hasn't had quote direct instruction in this area that's written into his IEP by whoever, the special ed teacher, whatever teacher that is, and call that IEP meeting to have a discussion about that. The same with the paraprofessional. Dispute resolution um, processes haven't changed as it relates to that IEP. So no, there is, going back to the question, there isn't this, and you need to do this, you need to hire somebody by such and such a date, where the so as they say, like holding the feet to the fire is really in the in the IEP itself. And, you know, every day that child is not getting that service is something we want to see. A, you know, we want to see parents keep track of that um, and let have those conversations with school. And we always say proactive. We don't want people going in and screaming and shouting and saying, but you should and you didn't. But really be able to bring to the table, OK, we need a meeting. It's now been two days. It's been five days. It's been 10 days. And my child hasn't received this piece on page such and such of his IEP. And I'm in, and we're starting to see um, regression. What are we going to do? And I say the word we, because I think we all, we all try at, at, in, in our program to say, use the word we, because it, we, we continue to remember, I'm, a, I'm the parent. I'm part of this team. So what are we going to do about it? Even though it might mean, okay, how is the school going to respond to this? Annie? I have something to add. Um, in, in most cases, I would say, even pre-COVID, um, if um, a staff person you know, left unexpectedly and there was an unexpected um, vacancy in a spot, whether it was a therapist or... In most cases, uh, administration know that there is um, an absence. They know and they're working... Um, diligently to fill it. Um, like anyone right now, especially wishes they could wave a wand and have 10 people appear who can fill these vacancies, but they can't. So if they're doing their due diligence to fill those vacancies, then the best thing that come out of that to come out of that is both sides, like, like Deb said, are tracking that so that there's no disagreement about what's been lost and what hasn't. And then when, in, when that's filled, it's um, it's provided as pos as possible. Um, it's when you know that that means that a district would not be in non in noncompliance at that point. As long as they've notified that they're working on it and that they know that they owe these services eventually, then right. they're in a good place. And the parents, I mean, parents understand how that can be. It doesn't help. It absolutely doesn't help. And I'm sure it's very frustrating, especially right now when the parents or grandparents are the teachers taking place. Um, so keeping it in writing, keeping it proactive, moving it forward to when eventually there is a solution is the best possible way. 
If I could just add to this certainly would not apply to wall positions in a school department, right? Like a paraprofessional would not be able to replace something a special educator was doing. Right. However, if it's if it's a paraprofessional that the that the vacancy needs to be filled, um, there might be other staff who can sometimes support the student. Um, sure. In the meantime, so. Mm -hmm a little more support from the special educator might be possible or the OT or, you know, some people might be able to help out. So that's another plus of having that IEP meeting to talk about what other creative solutions, you know, could be put in place in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. In, in other words, figuring out what is it, you know, if, if we can't fill this specific role, what is it that the child needs what is it that they're missing that we can try our best to to fill that gap until we can fill that understanding that that exactly. paraprofessional might be the best thing. Um, and and obviously that's the goal is to get there. But in the meantime, how can we work together to to fill the gap um, that that person is is leaving open right now? And everything I, I hear, everything you all are saying about the timelines and keeping track of that. Um, that sounds really important to me, you know, as part of the. We talk a lot on the show about data collection and how, as a parent, you want to be taking those notes. You want to be keeping track of things like that, keeping track of things like how many days has it been? How many weeks has it been um, that, you know, my kiddo has gone without this this service that they really need to thrive? So that all sounds really good. Um, Mark, can I add? That's exactly yeah, what we wanted to. That, that one piece that you just talked about, data collection. When we spoke last week at the last um, Special Ed Weekly, the, the idea of, now, so what if this student that we're talking about is a child who's doing distance learning and they still have, they still get those same things. They may also get a support from that paraprofessional, but are we reminding families that not to, fo I mean, the focus certainly from the data of how many days is really important, but when you want to focus on what you perceive as per, uh, regression is about your observations. And I want to just restate that again. What, if, what are you observing is different because they're not getting the support of their paraprofessional. So when they had that support, they were able to attend to their English class or whatever, whatever that is for, you know, 35 minutes out of a 50-minute class, let's say, or, or like really looking at it in a quantitative way. Now they're only, I've been monitoring this for the every day, and they're only able to attend to a task or they start to cry or they start to walk away from the screen without that level of support. So you have to become a good observer. It's one thing to do the, yes, click day one. We still don't have Mrs. So-and-so or, you know, Mr. So-and-so. But what are you seeing as a result of that is the true data. If you want to use the word regression, back it up. Talk about it. Don't just say the word without finding a way to prove it. What do you what do you see? Because schools, if you're at home, schools aren't going to be able to see that. And you just using that language of my child's regressing. He's not making any progress. Well, what do you mean by that? What are you observing in him or her that was different a week ago, two weeks ago? That all sounds like really good advice um, on that topic. Thank, thank you all. Um, I want to just take a moment and let our audience know that we've been doing this show uh, for this is number four. We've done it every week for the last four weeks in October. 
Um, we get a lot of great questions every week, and it's it's great to hear from our panel. We're going to go on a little bit of a hiatus after today's episode, and that is mainly to uh, prepare for that transition week that we mentioned uh, a, a few moments ago, um, which is going to be the week of the, six, uh, the 16th through the 20th. And I have an updated graphic now, so that matches. Yeah. Uh, you can visit ripen.org to learn more about this, but we are going to be spending the next few weeks getting that ready, getting lots of great content, live content, pre-recorded content, webinars, workshops, Q&A sessions where you're going to have an opportunity to ask experts, just like you do here every week on Ripen Special Education Weekly, specifically about those transition topics. It can be a really um, overwhelming time for parents, and we've been doing it for, this will be the 11th year that we've been bringing this information to parents to help them get through this, this transition process um, and, and get connected with everything they can, services, advice, information to help to help with that whole process. So we will be off, Ripen Special Education Weekly will be off for the next few weeks. We hope to come back later this year. In the meantime, you can always call Ripen for one-on-one -on -one support, for answers to your questions, um, asking about any of the topics you've heard about on this show or any barriers you're facing as a parent when it comes to special education, any process questions you have, anything at all. Our peer professional team, they've, they've lived through it and they work on it every single day. And we have lots and lots of experience here at Ripen to help you navigate those processes. So give us a call. 401-270-0101, Monday through Friday. Uh, we're open 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. If you call during those hours, you will more often than not get a live answer. If you can't call during those hours or if you get a voicemail, if you leave a message after hours, you send an email to callcenter at ripen.org, somebody from our call center will get back to you, uh, usually within a couple of days. It might take a little longer. Right now we are seeing higher than normal uh, call volume around special education, as you might expect. But do leave that message, please, because someone will contact you. and We will get your information and, and start to help you as best we can from start to finish. So that is, I think, all we have for today, for this week, for Ripen Special Education Weekly. I want to thank our audience again, everybody who tuned in, everybody who's listening on the podcast. I want to thank you for those listens and those downloads. I especially want to thank our panel today, Ann Fertura. Katie Conti, and Deb Belanger for all that great information. My name is Mark Gray. I want to wish you uh, a good rest of your day and uh, enjoy your evening. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.